Greetings, good people. Welcome to Who Knows It's Just Life, the podcast. I'm your host, Kyle. Thank you for fitting me into your day today. This episode is episode number 18. It is also the episode I'm, I guess, acknowledging, celebrating the first calendar year of the podcast. And uh, it's it's been a year. It's crazy to think that a year has gone by since I started this. And uh, I'm, I'm thankful that I've gotten... I guess this being the 18th episode, 18 episodes done in that time. I guess if I were to have a goal, it would have been to have more episodes in that first year. But, you know, I got to be kind to myself and realize that life is complicated. Life has a lot of things that happen. And um, I'm thankful that it that there's at least something out there that's along the lines of who knows. So, yeah, this is a celebration. It's, it's definitely a celebration. Thinking back to that first episode, it... uh what what got me started was just whatever was happening at that moment, and because I, you know, I, I, I was, I had the idea for the show and I wanted to do it, but I just didn't know what I would talk about and I didn't know how to start it. And if y'all have been listening this whole this whole time, like you know, the World Series had just ended, and I had some reactions to how the World Series ended, just from a, a gameplay standpoint. But then it kind of conjured up all the thoughts about baseball and it being problematic from a racial standpoint and how, how things were handled during the lockdown and all that. So any, anyway, um, the thought basically that got me to get over the hump of starting to record was just, what are the things that I'm talking to friends and family at nauseum without them even asking, <laughs> you know, what, what is it that I'm just pontificating about? In, the, in in my life at this at this time. And so that was that first episode. That's how it started. And uh, I've ha- I had some great guests over this first year. Um, you know, so, yeah, it's 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 been a year and I'm, I'm, I'm proud to have done it. I'm happy to have done it. And hopefully we'll we'll keep it going and maybe pick up the pace a little bit if I can manage that. And um, yeah, so I and I appreciate y'all listening. Appreciate the support and everything else. It's, it's, it's really been a, a fun ride. So I'm going to do this episode a little differently. Usually I kind of do brief updates and then dive into a topic. And I'm not going to do that this go around. I'm kind of just going to jump around to a number of different topics, kind of in a reflection of of it being the first year. The first thing I want to talk about today is actually something that came up for me in August. And I really should have brought it up then. But seeing as how Thanksgiving just passed and this is the November episode, I was I, I it's top of mind in terms of the Thanksgiving episode that that we did last year, uh, featuring uh, my friend Barry Adelberg and and Stina Hamlin and Vicky Ramirez from Red House series, talking about reframing Thanksgiving and understanding or just talking through thinking through how we can take the time away from work and celebrate or just not celebrate but just be with family and do you know just do do anything around that time in good conscience, knowing the history of the colonial settler you know, occupying nation that, that is the United States, you know, and so that was a, that was a really valuable and beautiful conversation. But what came to light in August was the fact that Red House is not the organization that we thought it was. That statement is targeted directly at its leader, which is a non-native person. And through what was, I know, several challenging months and Barry had filled me in on little bits and pieces at a couple of the key junctures of this, um, basically, uh, the non-native, you know, leader of of what was Red House, 
basically was silencing the actions and the voices of the Native women actually in the group. And it ultimately became a, a, a non-supportive, non-help. You know, it was, became a toxic environment, and it was just truly, it didn't met, meet the said expectations and said values of of what Red House was. And so I, I you know, when I got this, I got the official email that 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 connect, that those connections had been severed. And so I, you know, unfollowed Red House and everything like that. And um, I really, what I should do is I should go back to my thanksgiving episode last year and and add something to it to say you know actually don't follow red house series um you know we've learned additional information in in the months several months since um but you know i i think it's that whole trajectory is you know kind of what this show is all about and it's this show is about giving space to that learning process and while Vicky, Stina, and Barry were affiliated with Red House at that time. They all, in their own integrity, decided to leave that organization um, and, you know, just just sever that relationship. And I think that's what life is all about, right? I mean, we 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 come to the world as we are. We see the world as 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 it is, and as we learn and experience things, we can navigate and course correct and change. Our, our way of operating and that was a necessary move for them in in regards to Red House and and I think this show like I said that that's that's what the show is all about we don't I don't know I'm still learning and I and you know I think that's true for all of us and so that was that was something that took place and yeah and so I, I really just appreciate Stina, Vicky, Barry and the rest of the team for persevering through that. I know there were some very difficult times, very challenging periods where, you know, they just not sure what to do, you know? And um, I, I, I commend them. I, I think that they demonstrated a lot of courage to sever ties and, and to acknowledge that, that that relationship was no longer serving them and serving the Native and Indigenous people and at large um, and really calling them out. And I actually, there was some action on Instagram re- regarding that earlier this month. And that's, all, that's also why it's top of mind as well. So um, yeah, I, I just, so yeah, I appreciate you Barry and, and the rest of the team for, for persevering through that and, 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 you know, allowing me to, to first speak to you all last year and also to, to be kept abreast of the, of the ongoing situation. So the next thing I want to talk about kind of jumps back to that initial episode that I did about baseball. And I, I talked about it also in the October episode last month. But uh, the whole <laughs> so baseball being problematic, baseball, can I shouldn't say baseball, baseball is a sport. The, the Major League Baseball continues to be problematic. And I love the sport of baseball. So this, as I've mentioned, this is a very <laughs> just it just never goes away for me. Um but I, I noticed that the guy Jim Cat, I believe that, yeah, um, still didn't get fired from Major League Baseball. Now that was a once in a one a one off broadcast that the MLB Network did for a playoff game. I don't think they even covered any other playoff games for the rest of the season. So I'm not sure if that was just a, a one contract deal or anything. But the league never came out with anything saying that Jim Cat was wrong and he'll never be on the air again or anything like that. You know he. he 
other than him reading that obviously fake apology, not fake. I mean, the apology was written by producers and MLB or whoever, and he read it and he sound he sounded clueless as to why it was even necessary. Other than that, which obviously falls flat and it doesn't help that that's all we got for major league baseball on that matter. And the man is like 82 years old or something like that. So I, you know, I don't know, like, but, but to me, that just is not enough. It's just not enough. So I don't know. In, in other baseball news, I saw earlier this month that the guardians are selling merchandise. So for those who aren't familiar, the guardians is the new mascot name for the, the Cleveland baseball team, which used to be called the Cleveland Indians. And, you know, it's, you know, Indian is, is an offensive and incorrect term, but it's a lot less offensive if we're going to, if we're going to, you know, put eggs in baskets here than the Washington football team's former name. Um, and they obviously still don't have a new mascot yet, but anyway, Cleveland, they got, for, by the way, they, they, they got rid of the chief Wahoo grotesquely offensive caricature face logo several years ago. I'm not sure the exact year that they did that, but they started just using using a C for Cleveland and they, they really stopped using the 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 blatantly offensive image there. Um so that they started to kind of roll back some of the some of the racism I guess over time, slowly but surely, sort of. Um and now but anyway now they officially have the Guardians as their new their new mascot. So that's the Cleveland Guardians. They're selling their merch now. I saw that was posted in 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 this month. So yeah, I don't know. It's just interesting to see see that happen. So you see one club, you know, trying to do the right thing, trying to get away from offensive and racist mascots and whatever. And okay, we give them, I guess, credit for doing the right thing, but again, this is like Years in the making, years late, as, as far as I would say, but whatever. They're doing it, so okay, golf clap maybe. So cut to the World Series, which ended just as the as the month of November was kicking off, and I really could have talked about this in the October episode, but because um, I think there was there was footage of the footage of Donald Trump. So hold on, let me back up. So the Atlanta Braves, which actually originated in Milwaukee, but whatever they are called the Braves. It's based on a Native American theme of of, of Brave, and they have a, a tomahawk as their their logo. They don't have an offensive caricature mascot necessarily, um, but back in the day, in the 90s, when they were in the, in the playoffs and in the World Series in the 90s, folks might remember they had like a little, it was a red foam, I think the foam finger, like the number one foam finger, they used to have foam red tomahawks and through the stadium speakers they would play this this chant and the fans would move the tomahawks like they called it the tomahawk chop or whatever and obviously it's 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 a it's offensive it's it's like a a character characterization it's it's just not appropriate to do that in a sporting event you know i mean it's like it's like as if somebody it's like at a Notre Dame game if they did some mockery of like a Hail Mary or whatever. Um, I don't know, people, you know what I'm saying? Like you just don't, you don't do, you don't take people's culture and just appropriate it and just make light of it for sporting events and, and things of that nature without, without you know, proper adoration, proper understanding. 
Um, oh, and by the way, don't like, you know, colonize and settle their lands and, and, and attempt genocide. Like, you know, and then try to say you're honoring them. Like, nah, that, that's, that's not, that's not going to ride. So anyway, so that's the, like the, the Braves have kind of always had this like undercurrent theme or whatever. And they, they, they stopped doing the foam fingers at the game, not the foam fingers. They stopped doing the foam tomahawks at the game, all that stuff. And I wasn't actually sure if they still did the tomahawk chop at all, but in the playoffs, and especially in the World Series, they did the tomahawk chop constantly. And 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 it was so and I noticed they had enough footage that showed that the stadium itself would play the music and on the big scoreboard in the outfield it would show a tomahawk chopping to get the fans to do the tomahawk chop. And they were just using their arms now, you know? And so you like what what the organ so the organization could have said oh we're trying to do the right thing no more foam tomahawks blah 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 and just not done it but they are still encouraging it and even when the stadium didn't even when the stadium pa didn't start it the fans were doing it anyway they would do it all the time like throughout the game and i you know and i'm like this is i mean it was a red state it's a blue state in terms of biden but we all know georgia is a very very interesting state. I'll get a little bit more into Georgia in a little bit. But, yeah, like, oh, and then there was footage of, of Trump doing at the game, at one of the one of the games in the Braves Stadium. And he was doing the tomahawk chop with his little smirk, you know, whatever. And, and folks, I can't tell you <laughs> how frustrated I get with all of this mashed up into baseball. Like, get this shit out out of baseball like get it out why can't i enjoy this game that's just a brilliant and amazing game like without this nonsense i'm sorry i this just continues to bug me and it won't go away and so i'm gonna keep talking about it when it shows up i'm sorry it's just gonna it's just gonna be what it is um but i'm gonna leave it at that i know y'all some some y'all probably tired of hearing me talk about baseball that's okay um so Another brief thing I'll mention is that the, the Nicaragua had had an election, and it's it's interesting because um, Ortega basically, I I believe the only people running against him were were like in jail or whatever, because you know obviously, you know it, it's not truly an election any, anymore, and for many for many standards from a from a democracy standpoint, like it kind of fails, right? And I believe it got the lowest turnout of any election. And people, people think that the turnout that even took place was like fake, fake voting, basically. And I, I have a little bit of an intimate connection to this because my dad lives there in Nicaragua. Most usually, he he lives down there, um, and he actually came to stay with me for the month, uh, for a month or so, to just not be the American in Nicaragua during this time because you know that might not be the the best thing, depending on how things shook out or whatever. Um, and so he was cl- closely watching it, and and it was just crazy. He was hearing from his wife and friends down there that like, hey, like, you know, it, it's crazy. Nobody went, nobody voted. I'm not even sure where any of these numbers came from because basically people didn't participate. And so I think you know the United States, the United Nations, or whoever starts getting involved, saying, oh, this isn't an official election, blah blah blah. So it becomes this whole thing, um, and, and I'm gonna continue to track that. I'm, I know my dad's gonna keep me abreast of that situation. So, but that was interesting, and and it, you know, obviously I got to see my dad for the month, so that was that was cool. But but just politically, it's a it's it's something worth following as well.
Um, the, the election season in the U.S. also had a couple of disappointments. I saw that uh, Minnesota voted down uh, question two, which was basically to have a private or not a private, a, 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 a separate state agency that would be a, a, a community oversight of police. You know, every time a police officer is involved with the shooting or whatever, there's always an internal investigation. Well, this was supposed to you know, help there be a more accountability by having a, a third party or a separate uh, entity investigate police issues and policing and all that kind of stuff. And the, the, the vote, the, so the vote was not in favor of question two. So in other words, not voting for this new position, which I know is severely disappointing and crushing for those of us who really, really want and need that to t- take place. And this being the land of, um, you know, this being where uh, George Floyd was killed, you know, if if anywhere you thought it, it it would start there or would take place there. And the fact that it didn't sucks. Right. Um, but I was reading a little bit into it and it and there was a lot of work that went into even getting it on the ballot. And if you look at the results, it was 54, 45 in terms of the the, the voting. So it, it was pretty close. And so the fact that it was A, on the ballot, and the fact B, that it was as close as it was, really is a success. And, you know, I know everybody wants to see it. Not everybody. I know folks of my ilk want to see that pass. But we, it's okay to, to accept the success that it still shows in, in the sense that it, it was on the ballot and it, and it got as much support as it did. So hopefully... There's opportunities to get that passed in Minnesota, but also get it get stuff like that passed elsewhere uh, in the country. So um, while that, while the result is disappointing, I think the process and 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 there's a lot of success in in that it even got to that got that far. So I want to give a shout out to all the folks who are on the ground knocking on doors, making sure that it happened. I think if I remember correctly, they, they had to get like a few thousand signatures to even get it on the ballot. They blew that out by like ten times or something. Like that. I don't know, something crazy. They they like. They did the groundwork to get that even on the ballot. So I, so the team, everybody who worked on that deserves a lot of credit, and there's a lot we can learn from what they did down there. Um, the other disappointing thing was that uh, Youngkin won in Virginia for governor. Um, it's, it's, Virginia is a very interesting place because it's, 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 got a, it's got a liberal lean these days. You know, a lot of people in northern Virginia, you know, are, are, are kind of making it a little bit bluer. Um, but yeah, they voted for for Youngkin, uh, Republican as as governor, and and he's got a lot of, you know, alleged close ties to Trump and everything like that. So that 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 wasn't a great result to see. I know in Maryland we have a Republican governor too. We we've got Hogan. He he's distanced himself from Trump quite a bit, especially during the COVID handling. So I think he'll be a front runner for president, and it'll be interesting to see because he'll be he's one of those Republicans that that he's a Republican and you definitely disagree with him on some things. But he's a guy that you can respect just as a politician. You know, he's one of those like, he, you know, you, you can respect somebody that stands firm on some principles, even if they're different than yours. And 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 you can have a conversation with and you can kind of, you know, you can work with. I mean, that that's that's respectable. I, I feel like we forgot what that even sounds like um, with with 45 and, and you know, some of the nonsense that, that makes makes the headlines. But anyway, that was another disappointing result. But, you know, we move on. We see we see. What else? What other progress we can make? So a book I just finished reading is The Counter-Revolution of 1776. And I mentioned Georgia earlier. Georgia comes up in this book in a very interesting way. But the premise of the book is that 
the American Revolution was a revolution to, it was a counter-revolution because the, the, the prevailing tide seemed to be going towards abolishing slavery. Um, one of the factors was that the Spanish army was fully and openly using uh, formerly enslaved or, or black folks in their military. And, and in the colony of Florida, the Spanish colony of Florida, uh, that was very, very common. There was, there was a, black, a, a class of black elite through, through military service in, in Florida. Um, and so, so anyway, there, and, and, and even the British started to do that too. They started to, to pull folks who were enslaved in Jamaica and they would use them in military conflict throughout the Caribbean and elsewhere. And, um, and yeah, and so part of the promise for, and part of the allure, allure, part of the lore for that was that, you know, folks could fight and if they survived and whatever, they would get their freedom. So as the British started doing this, the Spanish had been doing it for a while. Um, you know, the, the, the colonists in what is today the United States, they were seeing the writing on the wall, like, whoa, wait a minute, wait a minute. These European folks are, are about to abolish slavery, and this is core to what we do here. We need this over here. Um, at the same time, there was also this constant threat of slave revolt, which one thing about this book that I love and recommend is just reading it just for the, just for the perspective of, as to how much we fought back we fought back the entire time we were enslaved. If, if you read any history book, at least the history books that I was raised in, and hopefully they're a lot better now, but, you know, of course, some history books might not even mention slavery, but I'm not going to go there. But I, I didn't have an appreciation for how many slave revolts there were in, this, in the United States themselves. Um, there were so many that, that were covered in the book that, like I was just so encouraged. I was like, yo, we were fighting the entire time and the book constantly. And, and it's not even and so what, what was so prevalent was within the writings of both the local laws in states like Virginia, the Carolinas, et cetera. Um, but also just in writings, firsthand writings of, of leaders and, and folks at the time, whether they were slave owners or just business people or whatever was there was a, there was a cognitive there was a there was a, a knowledge of the colony's sensitivity and vulnerability to any kind of coordinated event where indigenous folks, enslaved Africans, and any of the other foreign powers, you know, getting together to basically end the slave system in the United States. And when I say foreign powers, I mean, you know, other European forces. So again, so again, this is a British colony, so had had enslaved Africans, indigenous folks, and either the French or Spanish gotten together with any sort of unanimity or whatever, um, that would have wreaked havoc on the American colonial experience and the colonial and the and the slave system. Um, and p- the shreds of that happened here or there, but nothing happened cohesively enough to to change the course of history. And so. The book basically makes the case that the American, the U.S. Revolution was a counter-revolution because it was, it was, yes, it was going against the monarchy and it was allegedly going for the rights of man and all this kind of stuff with democracy and stuff. But it really wasn't that. It was basically a new upstart 
wealthy class of colonial settler people who wanted to maintain the the mechanism of their enrichment, which was slavery. And part of that was also the slave trade itself across the Atlantic, but also just obviously the the mass production that the slave system afforded these colonists, especially the wealthy ones. And 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 if you even if you read history, like like the Tea Party, the Boston Tea, the Boston Tea Party, whatever, like some of the things that you that most people do know about. It was rich people being ornery about paying taxes to the British government. Like that's that's what it was, you know, in a lot of cases. And it, it, it and the book makes it sound like it's crazy because, you know, the British had just finished fighting the Seven Years' War against the French. Um, I'm sorry, against the Spanish, and 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 also had been fighting the French too, and and got got you know, had had gotten additional territory in in um, Florida and, you know, Quebec and other areas. And then the Americans had to pay that. So the British government wanted to charge more taxes to the American colonists because, hey, look, we just got rid of a bunch of threats local onto the continent of the United, of what is now the United States. We, we just eliminated a bunch of like French and Spanish threats to your existence. We're going to tax you more for that. <laughs> Settler colon, col- colonialists, colonialists are like oh no we're not paying more taxes even though you just went through all this to to make our borders a little bit more secure and then they (laughs) fought for independence and britain just lost all that money in investment and lost the entire continental colony system or whatever i don't know the whole thing is just crazy but anyway for me the, the 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 lessons out of that book is that we fought the whole freaking time and that this country was founded to preserve slavery don't let anybody tell you any differently um, and, and the first few presidents had, were in, and had, in, had slaves, um, or enslaved Africans. Uh, I, actually that might not be true for John Adams. I can't remember, but, but at least the, three of the first four, Washington, Jefferson and Madison definitely did. Um, so yeah, I don't know. This is definitely a, a huge reason why this country is what it is. And I, I think I, I just wish more people knew that. And, and the, and the t- connection to Georgia, I mentioned how Florida was a colony of the Spanish, the Carolinas were nervous about their proximity to this elite black class of former military folks in Florida. So they actually created the Georgia colony as a buffer between the Carolinas, you know, slave majority holding state um, and Florida. And they, for years, they tried to prevent any Africans being in imported into Georgia to prevent to, as like a physical buffer between between Florida and the Carolinas. And so Georgia is just a weird state because of that. But obviously the the money and the, the power that comes from having enslaved folks working there won over, um, even though the problem of having enslaved people here is that they're going to rebel. And then when they rebel, you know, they're going to try to find allies wherever that is, whether that's Spain or whoever. So um, it, it, it just... It just it just gave me a little bit of hope because really the whole colonial system, the whole the whole United States enterprise was haphazard. Um, the book also talks a lot about how whiteness was created. They tried to bring more white, more Europeans in to kind of, you know, increase the white population against the enslaved black population. And that was tricky because. On the continent of Europe, the Catholics are fighting the Protestants, they're fighting the Irish and whoever else. Like everybody's infighting amongst the Europeans in and of themselves. So this idea of them all being friends all of a sudden because there's a lot of African people who are enslaved was was brand new, and that was 
a cluster of a mess at that time. But ultimately, this idea of whiteness did win over, which is insane to me. Um, anyway, this, this but I highly recommend this book. I, w- I went on a super deep nerd dive on, on what that book is. And I usually don't do this. I apologize. But but this book was really, really interesting to me. And I, I definitely uh, took a lot from it, as you can tell. So I recommend that book. So another thing I want to talk about is something that I did. I, I might have mentioned this earlier, but I found I discovered that um, Ludovico Inaudi did a seven days walking album, series of albums, really. I think it came out last year. Um, but I just discovered it in October and I told myself, you know what, I want to do seven days walking. And the way the series was set up is basically one album. Um, I guess well, I should say there are seven albums and they're each like, you know, between 48 and 58, 60 minutes long. And so that's like a perfect length of time for a walk, of course. So I thought, you know, let me do seven days of walking and each day listen to one of the albums. And so I did that and I wanted to do it all in seven consecutive days, but I didn't do that because, um, you know, I actually one day I was legit tired and another day just I was just too busy with other things. So I, I, I did it over nine days and my dad joined me for most of uh, probably like four or five of them, I want to say. Which which was really dope, um, and so you know each of us had our own headphones in, and we were we were just listening to it, you know, and um, and it was real cool. Like the first one we did at Buddy Attic Park um, in Greenbelt, Maryland. Second one we did at Great Falls on the Virginia side of Great Falls, and yeah, it was real dope. So so after those first two, well, let me let me say, the, for the first two, those those paths were really like gravel or like earthen paths for the most part. And what I noticed was when I had my headphones in and I had like noise canceling headphones. So really I was very much audibly, I was very much tuned into the music and, and I wasn't really getting any audio sensory uh, input from the surrounding environment, which was interesting. And when for those first couple of meditations, especially the buddy attic one, I was hyper aware of how my foot landed on the on the pavement or not. Sorry, not even pavement on the on the path. And it was really interesting while my ears and my listening senses were tapped into the music. My my physical senses were tapped into like my my foot and, and my foot through the shoes feeling the earth. And I don't remember feeling that way through walking and at all, and and not even in, when I've I've done walking meditations before, and for, for whatever reason my mindfulness, you know, my, that experience has never really been through the feet, and for whatever reason with this album, and maybe it's just that the headphones like canceling out like the noise of of walking on leaves or whatever it was. But like I was just really feeling the feeling the earth through my feet, and that was a re- that stuck out to me for those first two, um, and it was just it was just really dope. So um, the, the the musical piece, the, the the pieces of music are just are phenomenal. Um, I found myself, you know, it, in an effort to be mind mindful, I, I let my mind focus on whatever was natural. So sometimes I was focusing on the music, and I would walk along with the music now granted this is a very dynamic you know minimalist classical music so 
you know, Ian Audi is very, very uh, fluid. He, he can he can be like he has repetitive themes at points, but they obviously like emerge and grow and evolve and stuff like that. So the tempo has changed and everything. So it's not like I was trying to walk to the tempo the whole time, but there was still a flow of like walking with the music, which was pretty dope. Now, I've done other walking meditations where like you 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 walk with your breath where you breathe with your feet. Right? You know, you kind of just marry the two somehow. This was not that, you know, I was breathing. Um, and I also just read, you know, a book about breathing through your nose. So I was also trying to focus on breathing in and out through my nose, which I know in meditation, a lot of times we talk about breathing out through our mouth, circular breathing. So anyway, I was, I was going through all these different things and it was just a really cool experience with all of those things happening. So feeling the earth through my feet, hearing the music with noise canceling headphones in and breathing through my nose, like feeling the fresh, like fall, autumn, you know, air and everything. It was just a really phenomenal experience. And, and, you know, it's interesting because those are the only two walks that we did where it was on like an actual path. I think the majority of the rest of the ones, I think the rest of them were either in my neighborhood or near it. Um, and, you know, it was on like a road or an actual sidewalk or whatever. And it's crazy because after having two walks with like more paths, more like earthen paths, it it really I've really felt how much harder other surfaces are. So when people say like running and everything is hard on your knees, especially if you're running on like, you know, a road. Yeah, I felt it. Like and and, and I yeah, it was just interesting to just have that experience, to have that become so, feel so real in those moments. Um but yeah, I don't know. I, I I really recommend that exercise if you're into any kind of kinetic meditations. It's a phenomenal opportunity to do it. Um, I think my stat, like, so one thing that my brother mentions is like the idea of, you know, I can't remember the name he he used for it, but basically just like nature walks and like walking to fully experience the nature. Um, And this was not that because A, I was listening to the music, but also B, like I couldn't help myself. I had to track the walks on Strava because I am a recovering engineer and I just have to quantify things that are quantifiable. Um, So I did, you know, keep track of the stats and everything. And I think I, let me see, I, my total stats on that were 22.6 miles over the seven, seven days of walking. And of course it took nine days for me to do it. So it was pretty good. Most of those days I got in a solid 5k um, or I was on a 5k pace if it wasn't, if I didn't walk for enough time. Um, and so I was happy with that just from like a walking standpoint. Now, like, you know, part of me feels like I should do it without tracking it so that I'm not thinking about pace and not thinking about quanti- the quantification part of it, because that'll probably be rewarding in another way. Um, but I couldn't resist this time. Like I, I just, I just like the quantification of things. And if that takes away from the experience, I'm sorry, but that's just me. So anyway, that was a super dope experience as well. Another thing I want to talk about is the the Colin Black and White uh, series that was done. And um, I, I, you know, people rec- recommend shows to me all the time and I never get to them because, you know, life and I, I genuinely don't really focus that much time on, on, on watching TV, but I do I do get around to watching stuff and I'm so glad that I watched this Colin Kaepernick thing. Shout out to my mom for originally making the uh the recommendation on that one. You know, he I I have mixed feelings about him in terms of what what happened with the NFL and all that kind of stuff. Um but 
seeing this show was was at the very least entertaining and the one thing I want to say is just I, I saw myself in some of the, in like that first episode or two. I mean, the Echo Red shirt, the 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 being being the mixed kid trying to figure out how to get cornrows like that was me. I think he's a year younger than me. Um, so or maybe a year old. No, no, yeah, he's a year younger than me. So like literally, like the imagery was like, yo, that's what it looked like to look at me <laughs> when, when I was that age. And so and they they captured that so well. Um, and, and yeah, I went through that, you know, the phase of like, I, I grew my hair out and I wanted to have cornrows cause everybody had cornrows. It was about how, how much hang time you could have. And, uh, yeah, that was, so, and, and, and bouncing between going to shops and paying out, out, you know, arm and a leg for it versus like going to your homegirl's house. And like, I remember, you know, this one, one, you know, girl I went to school with, she braided so tight, but I needed like, and so I, if I, I was tender headed to start, I'd like to think I'm less tender headed now. Thanks to her. Um, Sierra was her name. She, she, she braided the heck out of my hair and I needed it obviously cause my hair is a little like not as, not as coarse, not as thick. So it doesn't hold the, the cornrows don't hold as well. So I really needed her to do it that way. Anyway, that was just, you know, <laughs> anyway, the show was, the show was great. I, I know it was, the show got a lot of heat or just got criticism. I don't know if the show was criticized or just that people were criticizing, um, his parents, his adoptive parents. Um, by the way, I think they were excellently played in the in the show but yeah I mean it was painful to watch them being as clueless as they were about raising a black boy um and and a young black man I mean the the scene in the car where he gets pulled over and and you know and you know they're like you dodged a bullet and and like it's like a joke but like for black folks like no like that's not even funny. Like you wouldn't even say that. Um, and they just didn't have the cultural awareness and the, the situation in the hotel. Like there's so many, so many cases where they just completely failed to back him up adequately. And I think they did get a little better, but I mean, and it, I mean, and it, and this was, this was at a point, this is like the early 2000s. So I don't know. It, it That's what it was, you know? And, and, should it have been better? Absolutely. Should should parents should white parents who adopt children of color, black, whoever else, like they should go through some rigorous training and really understand what they're getting into. I think it was a podcast. I think it was an episode of of uh, of Code Switch where they talked about children of color or people of color who who were raised by adoptive white parents, and it's crazy. Like. I mean, if you if you want your kid to feel comfortable within their race or within their ethnicity or whatever it is, you as parents need to be uncomfortable a majority of the time. Like if you are if you are white and raising a black child, you need to be at black church. You need to be at the black barbershop. You need to be at black stuff. Um, You need to be comfortable in the cookout. So your kid is comfortable at the cookout like and that's not easy to do. So be careful <laughs> you know what I mean like it's 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 something that uh I don't think so people think about being you know being you know giving opportunities to people that wouldn't have this opportunity and da 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 and that's all well and good but that can be harmful if if they're not if this if the child isn't being raised in a culturally competent household and, and environment and community so um anyway 
I, I liked the show. Um, it was it was it was interesting. Obviously, Kaepernick made it, and uh, you know, Everett Devernay was involved, I believe. So, I don't know. You know, it's gonna be him telling his own story. So, what did it show? All the, anything controversial from his high school? No, did it? Is, I mean, you know, it is what it is. But I enjoyed it because, at the very least, I got to see something that looked very similar to me <laughs> in high school. Um, of course, I wasn't nearly as physically gifted in terms of. Um, you know, sports and whatnot. That's that's for sure. But uh yeah. The last thing I'll say is that <laughs> towards the end of the towards the end of the month of November, I, you know, for Thanksgiving and whatnot, I saw The Heart of They Fall. And that movie was pretty dope. Um it was it was violent, you know. I, I know some folks that didn't see it because it was violent and it is. It's a western. It's a black western if you don't if you're not familiar with it. Um, but as soon as it t- it cut on, I was like, "This music is bomb!" And uh, oh my goodness, the, mo- the <laughs> if nothing, if you if you can stomach the violence, watch the movie just for the music first and foremost. But the mo- the movie is also like it's it's a great movie. It has a lot of uh, a lot of well known actors in there. You just Alba's in there, Lakeith Stanfield's in there, and a number of others. Um, the, so the one thing that that has come up a lot with movies is you know, casting and all that, colorism and whatnot. And this movie has a lot, it's it's a black film, right? So there's a lot of black people in it. And, you know, but my brother was looking up the historical people that the characters in the movie were based off of. And, you know, so of course, the whole plot of the movie is completely fictitious, but they like um, they did take names of, his, of actual historical people and, and just, use those names in this fictitious story. Um, Stagecoach Mary, who, you know, is... So Stagecoach Mary is played by Zazie Beetz, who is, you know, light, light-skinned, you know, and, and, and thin and, and, you know, whatever. Um, my brother was looking up that the real Stagecoach Mary was a dark-skinned, heavier-set woman, and... You know, I don't. And so, you know, when when you think about casting and stuff like that, there's there's a plethora of darker skinned black men uh, in the film. But the the only black, uh, the only the only love interest, female love interest in the in the in the movie is a lighter skinned Zazie Beetz um, as stagecoach Mary. Um, there's other darker skinned women in there, but they weren't love interest. And so even in a black film, you're going to get like you get. This like, oh, but like, couldn't we have just had like true to Stagecoach Mary's actual physique? Like, couldn't we have actually had, you know, a, a darker skinned black woman play her? And somebody that comes to mind is is the the woman who played Ruby in uh, Lovecraft Country. And uh, I, I'm I apologize if I don't get her name correctly. I, I had to look it up. Um, Wumi Musaku, who is a Nigerian born British actress, and I mean, she's 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 darker skinned. She's heavier set, and she is just fire. Like she killed the Ruby role in Lovecraft Country. I loved her in that movie. I'm sorry, in that show, and she would have kicked ass as um, Stagecoach Mary. Like what? She would have killed it. So like, you know, 
I, I like let's put our darker skin women as love interests. Heavier said darker skin women as love interests. Like we can like let's just be true to form. Like let's let's fully embrace our 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 beauty and our diversity and and like all of that and our history. Like Sage Coach Mary was actually a dark skinned woman. Like let's let's just let's just do it. Let's do the most with it. Like let's let's just really, really do it. Um and it's not that there's not like obviously like you know, I, I thought of her as 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 the person playing that role. There's probably countless of women that fit that same physique, fit that same whatever, and and are just as skilled or are just waiting for their opportunity. So, um, and no, 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 you know, nothing against um, um, Zazie Beats for like she killed the role too. She did a great job, right? Like nothing against her. Like, you know what I'm saying? Like I I, I love that this movie happened. I love that it employed so many people. And, and, and like I said, it was, it was entertaining to watch. Um, and you know, I bang with it. Um, and I guess that, that, that I'm going to conclude the episode there. Um, sorry, that was kind of abrupt, but I wanted to mention, so, but, but that's cause the music made me think of the song that I'm rocking to. So yeah, that was an abrupt end of the episode, but, uh, the song I'm rocking to is ain't no better love by seal. And I believe it's his brother who wrote it and maybe even directed this film. I think I know I know Seal Seal's brother was involved with this. And that song, like, again, the whole soundtrack is dope. It's fire. But that song just hits for me. That song is crazy. And for those who are from the DMV who know Go Go, like that beat is a go-go beat for real. And that song reminds me of like some neighborhood life UCB stuff from like way back in the day, like some soulful, like it's go-go, but like, you know, if you, if you know what I'm talking about, you know that album, you know what I'm talking about. But that, that seal, that seal ain't no better love song. Ooh boy. Like that song goes, but the whole, the whole soundtrack is, is, is definitely fire. So I recommend the movie. I recommend that soundtrack for sure. And uh, yeah, I appreciate y'all listening to me. I appreciate y'all rocking with me for a full year. I want to just, you know, take a moment to thank you for listening. And um, if you missed any episodes over the over the year, you know, definitely go back and listen to them. I appreciate appreciate any time you offer to listen to the show. Um, you know, but anyway, that that's that's this episode of Who Knows Is Just Life, the podcast. I'm your host Kyle. As always, you can hit me up on Instagram if you have any feedback on this or any prior episodes. I'm at R-E-A-L-D-A-D-U-L-T. That's Real Adult. And yeah, as always, be safe, be well, peace. Peace.